Um, and as I made another sharp turn, I all of a sudden I felt uh, a trunk or something grabbing me by 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 the ankle. Um, and I was in there. It's a trunk of the elephant reached for me. I was in there, and uh, yeah, I was just flying in there. Welcome back to When It Hits the Fan, the podcast that delves into what really happens when things go wrong on the road. Brought to you by Battleface, the tough face of travel insurance. Now, being a podcast focused on high-risk travel, it's understandable that our guests come from a range of backgrounds, journalistic, humanitarian, and of course, plain old adventuring. Today's guest, though, has had a career which has perhaps encompassed all three of those areas. Henry Gold is a founding member of the Canadian Physicians for Aid and Relief, uh, a development organization that operates across many African countries, providing a range of programs, including emergency relief, uh, infrastructure building, and reforestation. During his time managing the organization, he also produced a trilogy of award-winning films about foreign aid, development, and health issues across the African continent. In 2003, Henry founded the Tour d'Afrique, a 120-day bicycle expedition from Cairo in Egypt to Cape Town in South Africa, which saw 33 cyclists set off from the Pyramids of Giza, spending four months on the road before finally completing their journeys at the foot of Table Mountain. In recent years, meanwhile, the Tour d'Afrique has morphed into TDA Global Cycling, a company owned and operated by Henry, which offers cycling expeditions across the globe. Of course, with a life that varied, Henry has plenty of tales of adventures, uh, and we have plenty more guests lined up for the podcast. Uh, if you're not subscribed yet, do that now to be kept up to date on the latest episodes. Uh, and of course, we'd love a positive review on whichever platform you're using to, uh, to listen to or watch this podcast. Uh, but that's enough from me. Let's hear from Henry himself. Uh, Henry, uh, great to finally speak to you and get you on the podcast. How are you? Pleasure. I'm fine overall, you know, dealing with it like everybody else with uh, what's going on, but managing. Yeah, I've just read that because um, I should say you're in Toronto at the moment and uh, you, you've had one of the longest lockdowns right in Toronto. Is that right? Yeah, yes, they have. But it's, you know, it wasn't, um, I certainly didn't find it particularly difficult because it's not like we were, we had a curfew or, you know, we had police uh, policing us doing whatever. I mean, you could walk around, you could cycle, you could, uh, you know, you could go on shop. Um, so certainly I didn't feel it uh, particularly stressful. Um, you mentioned cycling, which of course is, you know, a kind of almost in a way perfect lockdown activity. If you if you are allowed your your daily exercise and, and to kind of get out of the house, you know, kind of a, a relatively kind of solitary exercise like that is is actually a great way to spend lockdown. So I'm, I'm wondering if this is how you spent your lockdown. Were you, were you on your bike at all? Um, I wasn't my bike, but I wasn't very much on a bike as compared to what I used to in the past. Um, I spent more time walking, believe it or not, just going for long walks. Uh, different parts of the city. I just gave myself the, you know, some some goals to go see places I haven't seen, just to see, get to know the city. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, you know, you're you're here to to tell us about a uh, an incident that that happened. Well, of course, it was it was on a a cycling expedition. Do you want to give us some context, then, uh, Henry? Whereabouts in the world was this, and and when did this yeah. take place? So, um, just to give you even more background, uh, basically, I in uh, in 2002, um, myself and other fellows set up this company called Tour de Afrique Limited, which was the idea was simply to cycle from Cairo to Cape Town. It was never done before, certainly not in, in a big group. Um, and uh, we we did this in 120 days, established a Guinness World Record. Um, and then at the end of it, uh, the discussion started, you know, uh, is this it, is this one of a kind, or are we going to continue? And then uh, <clears throat> um, we decided, I decided anyway, that we're going to continue and we're going to try to add different types of trips around the world. Um, and so we started other trips, Silk Route and uh, South American Epic and, and trips like this. And then in um, literally in 2011, for the first time, we decided to do an Indian trip. Um, which was um, started in started in um, in Agra, um, literally the Taj Mahal, um, and the idea was to cross all the way to the southernmost part of India, which is Kanyakumari. The way we cycle, the style we cycle, is we don't necessarily cycle as a group. Um, we cycle individually. Everybody gets direction every day, and then people spread. Um, and uh, so that's how the, the, the fast cyclists can go as fast as they want and the, the, the slow cyclists like myself can go as slow as they want and stop and chat and do whatever you want. Uh, what sort of distance are we talking about here? I'll be talking about the, anywhere from 100, sorry, from 80, 90 kilometers per day um, to as much as 150 kilometers, even 160 kilometers. Um, it all depended on... on um, you know uh, how you how you break the the tour because a tour like this you know you uh, we, we break it into sections segments roughly two weeks and uh, so that people can also join for for these segments and the segments are set up in such a way that you can fly in and out there's an uh, at least a major airport so if you're coming from outside you can fly in and you know the next segment you finish you can fly out and how far into this uh, uh this, this journey or this expedition uh, uh did this uh, instant take place so we were towards the end um i think it was an eight week trip so i recall correctly um and we were into the last 10 days uh, already towards the south um where uh, uh, we were in a city called mysore um which is a little south of bangalore bangalore is quite famous nowadays um for the high-tech cities mysore also mysore is also a big city over a million people maybe two i don't even remember anymore um we had a rest day there we we got off um, and we cycled about 100 120 k's um uh, and it became very um it started becoming wilder um, we actually cycled through a national park we were, where we were told that uh, there's elephants and be careful. So that's we actually had to pull into into two or three groups. So we didn't cycle by ourselves. Um, and we passed very successfully. No problem. We saw elephants. They didn't bother us. We enjoyed ourselves. Um, so I had my breakfast, um, put my stuff in the vehicles. The vehicles were packed. And there was one young lady who's actually with me on a trip before in the US, in uh, Africa, from US, 
um, and she was having some difficulties with her bicycle. So I was uh, hanging around helping her. Um, and, you know, about 20 minutes after everybody left, uh, uh, it was just me and her and we de departed. They managed to fix whatever the problem was and we departed. Um, and um, started uh, kind of from the lodge heading to the main road uh, which was a little bit back towards the little town and then we made a right turn and we were on a, now on a on a very narrow uh, but a paved uh, paved road uh, indian standards which is kind of interesting <laughs> because again it's sort of pertinent a little bit in a few minutes in a few and I'll tell you about why, but it's a, it's um, when I say um, uh, Indian road, it's essentially a, oh, at most lane and a half road at most. But the most interesting thing is they had they layered heavily with with um, asphalt so that the shoulders are almost six inches, you know. So it, it's it's you can't really drop if you go off the, <laughs> off the pavement. Um, so anyway, we were cycling now. Um, I was kind of hanging back behind him, maybe 20, 25, 30 yards. Um, she's a much stronger cyclist than me. In general, we were going up the hill. Again, not a very uh, steep hill, but nevertheless, it was a, I don't know, five, six degrees uh, uh, climbing um, with someone like me who, who was, as I said, not particularly strong cyclist and upright cyclist. Um, so there we go. We were not, I don't know, five, six, seven kilometers from the lodge at this point, going uphill. And all of a sudden, ahead of us, uh, ahead, oh, I would say 100 yards ahead of us, um, there was an elephant with two young ones crossing, just appeared uh, in front of us. And then it's just very peacefully crossed. Um, and it was very exciting, particularly because the young lady who was with me in Africa before, um, was the only one from all of us who never saw an elephant in Namibia and Botswana as we were cycling. Mm -hmm. um, so she was very disappointed, you know, how everybody talks about, did you see it, did you see it, and she didn't. So I thought, well, there you go, you have to come all the way to India, and now you're saying, well, the elephant, how, how nice. Um, so that was kind of a warm feeling. Um, and at the same time, a car passed by us, and um, I was more focused on the elephant looking. I didn't pay much attention to the car. <clears throat> but the car, as, as they reached the elephant, uh, honked at the elephant. And again, there was nothing unusual. It wasn't like very strong, but it was kind of a, you know, honking that you do. Uh, <clears throat> and went on. Um, and I sort of made the point to myself, at that point, just trying to remember roughly ahead of me where the elephants walked into the forest, because I thought when I get to that particular spot, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to try to get a glimpse, glimpse again. You know, it was nice to observe wildlife, and I thought, well, I'll just try to see if I can catch a glimpse. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> continued cycling uh, up the hill, so fairly slowly. Um, and then, uh, when I reached the point where I thought I made made a uh, mark in my in my mind, I sort of said, "Well, uh, <clears throat> the elephants are not here. They are deep in a, in a forest, or I have already passed the spot, and and you know that's it." And literally, as that thought crossed my mind, uh, out of my you know to the left where I was looking for an elephant, uh, an elephant running, charging, just broke through the trees, charging full speed. Uh, well, he, he was running, or he or she was running speed at me 
literally at me. And as I said, at that point, it was maybe 10 yards um, when I spotted, maybe maybe maximum, you know, you never know these things, maybe 15 yards. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and well, at that point, I had to start making some decisions. What am I going to do? You know, your mind takes over very quickly. It's survival instinct. Um, so um, uh, my, my uh, thought, my quick thought was, I'm not going to get away going uphill. So let's see if I can turn quickly and, and go downhill because then, you know, then I have the gravity working with me. I can, you know, two, three quick pushes and I, I, I have a good, good speed. Um, but then, as I said, this road was narrow and I knew that the shoulder was high. So I had to make a, I had to make a very sharp turn. Um, and I tried and of course I fell, um, at, at which point, uh, uh, you know, you start again, your mind works very, very quickly. Uh, it's not like you can say, can I do this? Can I do that? <laughs> it is a mind tells you do this. Um, and in my case, my mind said, you got to get get yourself into the forest and, and you got to slow the elephant so you, you can't run away from him. You got to sort of run almost in a direction toward him. So he will be forced to make a sharp turn, you know, so he'll be, he, he'll be forced to slow down. Um, so I sort of run, if you will, 45 degrees from him, but in, in the direction of the forest, on the side of the forest where he came from. Um, and, uh, and at that particular moment, I think uh, I would have beaten any, any uh, bold Usain, <laughs> any sprinter. <laughs> uh, so I charged towards the forest. And uh, behind me, I, I heard the elephant stepping on the bicycle. So I sort of congratulated myself because I felt that the, obviously the, the direction um, or the momentum worked and he had to make a sharp turn. Um, so he did, did break part of the bicycle. Um, and then I, I managed to get into the forest. And as soon as I got into the forest, I felt, uh, okay, now I have to start uh, switching, switching direction again, zigzagging. To, to be able to again keep keep the elephant moving and and, and um, reduce his speed. Um, and as I made another sharp turn, I all of a sudden I felt uh, a trunk or something grabbing me by 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 the ankle, um, and I was in there. It's a trunk of the elephant reached for me. I was in there, and uh, yeah, I was just flying in there. Uh, wow. And at that point, um, you know, you start thinking again, the mind works very, very quickly. Um, I'm a Canadian uh, and spend some time in the wilderness and they tell you, you know, if you're attacked by a bear, a grizzly bear, <laughs> go into fetal position. <laughs> but what do you do when it comes to elephants? They, they don't give you this advice in Canada, unfortunately. <laughs> That's right, but but you you know you 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 draw on what you have, <laughs> and and so I said, okay, let's see. I'm gonna get myself into fetal position to see uh, to give the elephant as little space as possible to hurt me, um, and uh, and I tried that, uh, pulling myself on the side, um, and uh, the next recollection I have is essentially where I hear the helmet cracking, I hear. The, the the force of the elephant foot coming down on my helmet <clears throat> um which uh, again interestingly enough what your mind does in my case my mind uh, you, you would think it would tell you okay this is over or saying goodbye to whoever and, or having your life flash instead i had a very interesting thought i said well this is very interesting what's going to happen next 
Really? Uh, that's <laughs> I mean, just just to be clear, that the helmet was still on your head at this moment. You hadn't, the helmet was on my head. Off, so you know, I I I I wear it all the time on these trips. It's it's compulsory for our trips. Yeah. Uh, it saved my life. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's what happened. You know, the the helmet started cracking. What happens next um, is either either I, I lost consciousness or uh, the brain simply deletes, you know, the, the painful stuff mm -hmm. um, because uh, the next conscious thought that I have is uh, I'm now flat on my back um, and I see the elephant disappearing uh, from my vision. It's just running, you know, into the trees. Uh, it's just disappearing. Um, so either, as I said, either it was I lost consciousness, or 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 you know, or whatever the brain does, it does. Um, so that's it. Uh, at that point, you know, I lay on the ground there, uh, literally flat on my back. And as I said, I remember being on the side. So the elephant obviously did some stuff. Um, I have a feeling at that point. I'm I'm convinced that my back is broken. Um, but uh, I, I don't know, I just lay there still. And as it happened two months before, I took an intensive wilderness rescue course, how to rescue people who are seriously hurt. Um, so I was lying there and I said, all right, now I have to do this. I have to examine myself to do, to see what works and what doesn't. Um, so there I lay and, and, and then I decided, all right, <clears throat> let's see if I can move my toes. So I moved my toes on my right foot and that worked. There was no pain. Uh, so I said, oh, well, that's good news. Then I moved the other uh, foot, toes, and I said, well, that works. Um, that's good. Then I said, well, let's see if you can lift the knee. Um, so I lifted my right knee and I lifted my left knee and that worked. So I said, well, maybe this is not so bad. Um, and at that point I said, well, um, can I pull myself into sitting position? Um, and, but then I very quickly, you know, the one thing they tell you, you, you do not move a victim, you know, you got to make sure that, you know, because if you move them and has a broken back or broken neck, of course, you know, it's a quadriplegic. Um, so I lay there for 15, 20, half a minute um, having this dilemma, but then I panicked. I literally I said, well, nobody will find me. I have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> I have to move my head. I have no choice. I, you know, nobody will find me. I'm in the forest. It, well, of course, it wasn't true because the bicycle was out there, you know, but, but, you know, at that point, uh, so anyway, I decided to lift my head. Not a wise thing, but I did. And there was no pain. Um, and everything was fine. Um, and, and I said, well, let's see if I can pull myself into a sitting position. Um, at this point, I could, you know, my my left side, my left eye was uh, kind of half covered. I could hardly see. Um, this is from the impact of the uh, the foot uh, crashing my head in the ground. Um, but anyway, I, I managed to put myself sort of into a sitting position. But at that point, I realized that uh, my my shoulder and my left arm wrist was totally dysfunctional. So I just grabbed my right hand with the, the shirt and I just put my hand and at that point I realized the bone was sticking out completely. Wow. Uh, um, my wrist was broken, uh, my shoulder was broken. Um, and uh, so I just sat there at that point I realized, well, you know, getting up is not a wise idea at this point. Uh, so I sat there uh, 
pulling my thoughts and I said, well, uh, maybe maybe the person, the young lady, maybe she heard something, maybe she turned around, maybe they're running around. So I yelled her name. And um, she didn't respond. So I yelled again, she didn't respond. And I said, you know, I come from a very screaming family. My father was like a Shakespearean actor before there were speakers, <laughs> screamed like hell. So yeah. I, I, I trained my voice to fight with him because there was only one way to walk, to, to deal with it, to try to mm -hmm. scream harder. <laughs> so I said to myself, all right, let's do that. My father screamed, let's see, let's scream as hard as I can for the last time to see if she can hear anything. Um, and I did, and so, to my surprise, uh, she responded sort of right be, be, behind the trees from the road, but she, her voice broke down. Um, so at that point, I, I, I very quickly realized that she either knows something or she sees the bicycle being wrangled. So I said to her, um, Stephanie, stay calm, because if you don't stay calm, you're no help to me. And now I need help right away. So um and she responded saying she, now she responded calmly and she said henry i'm fine so i said there's a phone in my bag there and i need an ambulance right away please call an ambulance don't even come here just call an ambulance um and um and she said i have a, i have my own phone <laughs> and i'm calling right now she didn't call the ambulance she called the tour leader who was ahead one of my staff who happened to be the person we actually trained on each other on this emergency rescue, wilderness rescue. Mm. Um, so uh, she called him and uh, he, uh, he commented, well, he, he immediately called an ambulance uh, to actually to that little town which we passed the day before. And, uh, and, uh, and then he commandeered local, <laughs> local, he was actually also passing already through another little town and he just jumped into a vehicle and said the guy turn around go <laughs> just go <laughs> don't ask any question we have an emergency <laughs> and so he commanded a vehicle and uh, he was there within minutes and they took over and um, you know now then he started going through all of this checking on me and checking my pulse and see if it was broken or not and, and then the ambulance showed up um, within I, I would say not even half an hour um and i was uh, taken to the first to the local clinic where they patched my arm in particularly because i could have bled you know i luckily my vein wasn't broken mm -hmm. because i would have been in big big trouble i would have bled to death within minutes yeah um and uh, and from there they took me back to mysore they took me to the big big city which was a couple hours more than that uh, a couple hours of driving um and uh, yeah so that's the essence of the story. And you you, um, live, you live to ride another day, uh, is the, <laughs> and that's it. But I suppose, I mean, for, for all of the kind of public health campaigns about, you know, wearing a, a helmet when you're cycling, very few of them take into account elephant attack, uh, because of course it's <laughs> not one of the main problems, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm presuming you kept this uh, helmet as a memento of I this event. Not only that, I've kept the wheel on which the elephant stepped on. Uh, um, there was a rack as well, but they threw away the rack. They didn't, and that was completely wrangled, which is too bad because I would have taken it back to Canada. Sure. Um, but they, they did put the wheel back. And um, if you ever go by my house here in Toronto, and you're gonna, there's a big oak tree. 
And out of the oak tree, there's a little branch that was just started growing at the time I came. And I took the wheel and I put it right on there. And people always wonder why there's a wrangle uh, wheel. And uh, now, you know, the, in the meantime, the, uh, the branch has got thicker, so it's almost impossible to take it down. But it's, it stays there. And, and you know, people who, who obviously don't know the story wonder if some real freak lives here. He's putting up wheels, wrangle wheels. Um, so I have that. I have the helmet and I have it because it's just part of my life. It's 10 years now. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, and, and, you know, you survived. So as, as horrific and terrifying as, you know, this incident was, um, you know, when you come out of it the other side and you're thankfully just left with an interesting story to tell people and a, and a, <laughs> a wrecked bicycle wheel and a helmet, uh, you know, there's something to be said for that. Um, uh, Henry, I know you have, I'm sure, um, plenty more stories from the, the interesting life you've lived so far and continue to live. Um, if, if people want to kind of find out about, more about you or uh, TDA Global Cycling, where's the best place for them to go to do that? Well, obviously, the easiest thing is to go to the website, uh, tdaglobalcycling.com. Uh, that's Tom David uh, Automobile Global Cycling. We will put a link uh, in the description of the video below so people can find out more about you and, of course, TDA Global Cycling uh, if they want to do that. Um, but, yeah, until then, thank you so much for joining us, Henry, and, uh, and sharing this tale with us. Pleasure. Pleasure is mine. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's all we've got time for this episode. Uh, we're going to be back very soon with more tales of adventures from some of the world's most intrepid globe trotters. Uh, if you haven't subscribed already, do that to be informed of uh, next episodes as soon as they come out. Uh, but until then, goodbye. <laughs>